Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11. Andrew, how are you today? I'm good. Just had to sit here and wait for you all night because you were late. Yeah, I think we got a little crossed up because I had daylight savings time and you didn't. And so we used to be on the same time and now we're not. So now we have to be like, oh, is that 10 your time or 10 my time? It's annoying. (laughs) Can we just get rid of this daylight savings time thing like permanently? most states have been voting it like away. Like this is the last time the clocks are changing. I believe in California. No, that's not true. If they have California, California is actually the holdup. So Oregon and Washington passed it a couple of years ago, but it's contingent upon California also passing it. And California has been stalling. There's also a national bill that would get rid of it for the whole country that the house passed, but the Senate Senate hasn't. So why would they not? Why would the Senate not pass it? I mean, I, we don't need to get into politics. I'm just trying to understand why anyone would be against that. A bunch of sleep experts came out and said, "No, no, 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 no. This is the wrong thing. If you're going to get rid of clock changing, you need to get rid of because the the plan was to move everyone to permanent daylight savings time, and the sleep experts said, "No, you need to move everyone to permanent standard time. The people want daylight savings time permanent, but these sleep experts are gonna." They're going to mess it all up for all of us. Wait, I don't understand. What's the difference? If you... Whether you have it get light earlier in the morning or get light or get dark earlier in the evening. I mean, doesn't everybody in America have blackout shades? It's, it's not about it. it I, but some people say it's about sleep quality. The sleep experts certainly do. There's other people that say, think of the children who are getting at, getting on the bus in the dark at the bus stop and, I mean, I lived All in Oregon kinds for of stuff around it. It's politics. I, I lived in Oregon for a very long time. Like, you get on the bus in the dark, and you get off the bus in the dark during the winter in Oregon. Like, it just is what it is. Yeah, I agree. But I'd like to get rid of changing clocks. So I'm I'm all for any plan that gets gets there. There's one I prefer more than the other, but I will take either. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I I moved down here and didn't even realize it until now. So that's good. So that's why I was late, or you were early, depending on your point of view. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here first. Doug uh, made a pretty good argument, so I guess. How about football? Because what a weekend of football. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, our picks continue to absolutely flop, but, well, I digress. I've had multiple people angrily DM me that I lost the money this weekend. <laughs> you mean uh, picks are not betting advice? Everyone, and certainly mine aren't, although I did beat you this week. Again, for the second week in a row, I beat you. The only bet I actually won money on this weekend, well, I don't bet all of our stuff, but like the one that like actually won me decent money was the uh, Air Force um, Army under. <laughs> Cause That's it, automatic. What is it, like 43 and 9, the under is one in the in Service Academy games? Yeah, we only have one more of those this year, so guys, get your... Uh, 
get your like spending money ready, I guess. Well, the Powerball, nobody won. I didn't win. That's why I'm still here because I wouldn't be here otherwise. Um, sorry, not sorry, but it's apparently going to be 1.9 billion now. So QB, we can we can maybe up our our sharing agreement a little bit. Yeah, at this point, like I've contributed fifteen dollars to this specific like lottery round, so I'm pretty invested at this point. I'm just going to keep buying them every day. Um, yeah, yeah. one point nine billion. I think we definitely need to up our agreement. We can do that. Let's take that offline. However, um, all right. Well, maybe get at the end. We'll talk a little bit of uh, CFP rankings ramifications. It's not. Not something we're going to focus on a lot of, but if you stick around to the end of the pod, we might touch on it for a few minutes. But I think we'll just want to run through the games. Of course, we're going to start with the Oregon-Colorado game. Uh, the Ducks went down to Boulder, or over to Boulder, down and over to Boulder, um, and took on the Buffaloes and came away 49-10 to 10 victors. I think the game went exactly like we predicted in our preview pod, like everybody predicted. Um, they covered the 31.5 spread, so we both got that game right, and... Uh, there wasn't any kind of backdoor cover or really any late like scoring flurry from Colorado like we saw out of some some of the teams that Oregon blew out earlier this year. So thoughts on this game, QB? Um Yeah, Oregon did what they were supposed to do. Uh one covered offensively, like Oregon could have scored really as many points as they wanted to. Defensively, a little bit disappointed with parts of the performance. Other parts I thought were okay. Like did a good job on fourth down. Um, gave up a little bit too much between the 20s, had the coverage bust on the long uh, touchdown in the first half. But, I mean, you can't really nitpick too much. You gave up 10 points, you scored 49, um, and, and beat up on an inferior opponent. Although I, I will say, like, the first quarter was pretty fun. Like, Josh Connerly catches a touchdown, Bo Nix catches a touchdown, Noah Sewell runs a touchdown in. Like, just seeing the uh, the thick six was fun, and... Yeah, just seeing other guys get involved in the scoring in different fun ways. Um, I, I don't know. Like when you get a game like this, like it's almost disrespectful to do that, but it is cool to get get other guys involved. Well, you think maybe that's a way you try to stave off some complacency going into a game like this, right? As you mix it up a little bit, hey, let's do let's you know you kind of refocus the guys or re-energize them around you know kind of something unique that could be fun, right? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just making shit out of stuff out of my ass or something. But. No, that's a, that's a really, that's actually a really unique perspective. I hadn't heard that, but it makes sense. Like, I just think back to like when you're a kid, right? And like, there's a trick play coming up. Like all, like every little kid in like a youth football practice perks up when, when the coach says trick play. Right. Um, and like, even as you become an adult, it's the same thing. So I'm sure that, um, I'm sure that that is something that like to keep players engaged on a week where it'd be pretty easy to overlook the opponent. But, um, overall, yeah, it was a good performance. Like, there's a few guys that I think definitely deserve shout-outs. Like, Keon Ware Hudson was absolutely phenomenal in this game. Like, his best game of his career. Um, and it really comes on a season where he's quietly been very, very, very dependable all year. So I uh, wanted to bring him up uh, kind of early on in this. Yeah, I, I, I we noticed him. I know you texted me during the game, shouted him out, or tweeted about it, and I think we noticed him a little bit during the game as well. Uh, obviously Christian Gonzalez, two interceptions being the other one. One, he returned for a touchdown that kind of got robbed, <laughs> robbed from him. But I think Bo Nix will, will take the ensuing touchdown for his Heisman campaign. Uh, and then the second one, he also got quite a bit of a long return on. So, you know, returning back to Boulder where he obviously played last year, 
last couple of years and and coming out with two interceptions had to been a really sweet uh, performance for him. Yeah, another guy like I want I just want to bring up really quick in passing is Dante Thornton. Like it was his first game starting this season, and he he looked good. He didn't have a ton of receptions in this game, um, just the two, and one of them was for negative eight because like poor Ty Thompson comes into the game and everything just breaks. Um, but still, like blocking his butt off downfield on all occasions, being like a really dominant perimeter blocker, actually showing his speed on that Bucky Irving long run to get downfield and try to get out in front of a guy that was like 15 yards in front of him um, to, to get a block that might be able to spring that into a touchdown play. Just like the way he's playing without the ball makes me want to see him get more opportunities at the ball. Um, and frankly, like that'll happen over time. This just wasn't a game where the ball found its way to the receivers a ton. I mean, uh, Ferguson had three catches, Montevale had two, Herbert had one. Um, but really it was Hudson was the only receiver with, with more than two catches. So, uh, yeah, I, am glad you mentioned that Thornton, um, uh, uh, t- rushing down the field on that long run. Cause I, I saw it in real time and then I saw it again on the replay and I just thought that was, that was a really cool, like, um, hustle play and it didn't end up turning into a block, but I think he was smart though, by, because if he throws that block, it's, it's probably a block in the back that causes teams 15 and he smartly lets up. Um, but you know, really good hustle there. And I thought though, the one play maybe he could have been given an opportunity at was, uh, you know, the fourth down Bonix flips it over his head, you know, uh, you know, incompletion. He was he was running along the the end line of the end zone on that play, you know, on the same side of the field where Nick's had rolled out to, and it kind of seemed. And I don't know if Nick saw him or not. I'm not criticizing Bo at all, but I'm just. It's a play where with Thornton's length, you know, maybe maybe the play would have been for Nick's to just throw it up high in the back corner of the end zone, and then it's like Dante either goes up and gets it or it sails out, you know, out of the back of the end zone and. That might have been an opportunity that he could have come down with, but uh, you know it wasn't to be, unfortunately. But he did have a really nice screen, screen and run earlier in the game that went for like I think twenty five yards. Yeah, twenty five yard catch, and frankly, like his effort to only lose eight yards. Well, I mean, he could have lost two, but he broke a lot of tackles trying to create something out of nothing on his second catch um, on the screen that was tipped by from by Thompson. So, o- overall, like strong performance from everybody no one really from the receiving room stands out independently just because it was just the ball got spread around so much there was uh seven different pass catchers with a 20 yard player more so that's a good sign um r- running the ball uh, Irving at 11 for 120 Whittington 8 for 37 um but some tough short yard situations there for Whittington uh, a few more carries for dollars had six carries uh, but overall, just like really clean, pers- per- clean performance. Oregon uh, had better field position in this game due due to some good returns, some turnovers, things of that nature. And so the total yardage was a little bit lower than typical. But again, you're scoring 49 points. Oregon now has the longest uh, streak in the country of scoring 40 or more. It's been eight weeks. Ohio State lost. Uh, they were the leader in that category prior, but lost that this weekend. Um, against Northwestern. So they were tied with Oregon with on an eight game streak of scoring 40 or more. Now it's just Oregon by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously I mentioned this earlier, Bo Nix continues to, to, you know, really be quite dominant 20 for 24, 274 yards and two touchdowns through the air. 
um, very efficient uh, and explosive day. And then, um, you know, obviously ran for another two touchdowns and then caught the one that you mentioned from Noah, who threw a really nice pass. And actually, Bo made a really nice catch on that. It was not an easy catch over his shoulder, a little bit high. He he made a nice catch and took it into the end zone. So, you know, with five more touchdowns on the year, I think Bo leads the country now in total touchdowns accounted for. So passing plus rushing plus receiving. And uh, with some of the other guys that that may have fallen out of the race this week, uh, he's he's squarely in the Heisman conversation now. Yeah, not just as like, a, oh, that guy's you know maybe an outside shot. I mean, I think he's in the top three or four. Yeah, uh, one one thing I want to bring up because this is pertinent to next week. Uh, Jamal Hill was ejected in the second half with a targeting penalty. Uh, a little ticky tack in my opinion, but I understand why he was ejected. Uh, he will miss the first half of the Washington game, assuming he loses the appeal, um, which I think is pretty safe to assume at this point. So uh, no Jamal Hill in the first half for the Ducks. A little bit unfortunate just considering you're playing a team that wants to throw the ball so much, but uh, both Stevens and Addison have given good snaps to the Oregon this year, to Oregon at safety this year. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well. I, I, that targeting call looked, that's an interesting one to me because it looked, it looked more like the receiver's momentum was carrying them into Addison um, than any kind of like launch or anything, but Hill? I guess they saw it differently. You mean Hill? Yeah, sorry, Hill. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's enough on that game. I mean, kind of like the preview, there's just not a lot to take away. It's a you, you beat the hell out of a bad team. Good for you. Time to move on. Yeah, exactly. And of course, uh, Washington coming up this week. So we'll talk about that on our preview pod. But yeah, let's get to some of the other games. We'll stay in the Pac-12 first. Um, Oregon State went up to Washington on Friday night. Windy conditions up there. The rain never really came. I think they were in a rain shadow, which was a new term I, I didn't know about until Friday. And then I learned all about rain shadows all day Friday, it's felt like. Uh, but they did have a lot of wind. Uh, Washington... Pulled off the 24-21 victory up in Seattle against the Beavers. Knocked the Beavers out of the, the rankings. And, of course, them, they inserted themselves into the coaches and AP poll rankings. And we'll see on Tuesday where they land, if at all, in the CFP rankings. But this was, uh, as I said all week, this was a really intriguing game. I was looking forward to watching. And, and it, didn't, it did and didn't disappoint at the same time. I didn't think it was a very well-played football game. But it was an intriguing game and an interesting, you know, and close matchup to watch all throughout. Yeah, it was sloppy. I mean, Oregon State could not throw the ball at all. I mean, 87 yards on on 12 completions. Just a lot of, like, screens and dinks and dunks in, in the passing game. Uh, Smith schemed up a couple opportunities downfield, which Branson just completely airmailed. Um Oregon State did run the ball extremely efficiently, especially in the first half. In fact, like if I was to like talk about this game like a little bit deeper, I would say that Jonathan Smith at, at points in this game like thoroughly outsmarted himself and outcoached himself because they were they were kind of getting whatever they wanted in the run game and on early downs and staying ahead of the chains. And really, the only time that they found themselves behind the chains is when they tried to throw the ball. Um, and so coming into this game, Oregon State had one of the highest uh, run-to-pass ratios in the country, uh, 73%. And they really, I don't know, it felt like they got away what had gotten them to that point from a success standpoint uh, and and kind of abandoned the run at times and in situations where they didn't need to. And then I also feel like they, they got cute in the red zone at times. Like they, they had two shots in the red zone um, aside from their first touchdown that did resulted in zero points in the first half. And 
they they tend to go to this like wild wildcat uh or what i guess you call it the wild jack but where they bring jack coletto in uh in place of the quarterback and they just try to like hammer you and it's like they everyone it really telegraphs what they're going to do they're a lot more effective when they just run their offense in those situations and so i don't know i i just felt like oregon state really could have won this game they could have separated early but they just situationally lost um which is a credit to both washington um and just disappointing if you're an oregon state fan um oregon state played a tons of a ton of zone coverage in this game, which is something we talked about in the preview. And it did what it was supposed to do. Like the Washington offense was not very efficient. Um, 30 for 52, 298, and uh, one touchdown, one pick for Michael Penix. Playing that zone coverage, like he just gets impatient. Like he dinks and dunks for the most part, um, but he tries to push the ball downfield. And you're just putting them in a lot of situations where they have to convert long third downs or even fourth downs and they were able to do so on a, on a drive late in the second quarter um i believe i'm trying to find yeah it was a 15 play dr- uh, drive that took six minutes and 46 seconds where they converted a third and 16 they converted a fourth and 10 um and then they scored on third and goal so like really tough drive for the beavers defense Michael Penix and those receivers coming up with some plays in key situations. Uh, but Washington did outgain them, and I think overall they were the better team in this game, uh, although you and I both got this wrong from a betting standpoint. Yeah, we did. I, we had them. If they would have punched in that touchdown at the end of the game instead of settling for the field goal, we, we would have uh, ended up the other way on that one. But, yeah, I, I you know, for as much as everyone loves to rave about Jonathan Smith as a coach, and I, I do think he's done a really great job with the Beavers, I really think he, I think he coached his team to a loss this game. I thought with some of his decision, uh, situational decision making, as well as as the inexplicable, inexplicable, uh, you know, first down passing when your running game was clicking. I mean, I, I just, I, I just thought he it wasn't his best coaching effort, and and like you said, he could have had, you know, a multi multi possession lead early in this game, and just really. You really didn't get there. So, yeah, but credit to Washington. They they did, you know, have, what, a 97-yard drive at the end of the game to win. So, uh, you know, they, they executed and did what they needed to do, and now they're coming down to Eugene, and they're 7-2, and two, and they got their eyes on playing spoiler. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think it says a lot about Oregon State. Like, if they have any penalties, like procedural issues, or if they, if they have an incomplete on first down, it's, like, almost a guarantee to kill the drive because they just – especially in those those in, in that environment with those weather conditions they can't throw the ball like they just can't like if it's not like a hitch or something underneath like they had a uh, Tyjon Lindsay made a really really nice catch on a slant early in the game to get a conversion that was important but it it's just so hard for them to throw the ball vertically um and i think that that's really ultimately what's what cost them in this game because they were the more balanced team. Like they're able to run the ball. The Washington defensive front looked extremely soft in this game, uh, and defensively, I think they did everything they needed to do to win. Uh, the secondary played really sound. They were able to get pressure on Penix at times, although it typically uh, required bringing additional bodies. I felt like they tackled well and, and limited the Washington run game for the most part. So tough, tough loss for the Beavs. Uh, good win for Washington. If you're an Oregon fan looking at this game, it really didn't matter who won because. If Oregon State wins, they would have been ranked when they we Oregon played them at the end of the year. Washington wins, they're ranked. They're going to be ranked um, 
on Saturday when they come into odds. And so it's, it, it's all the same for the ducks. Yeah. Going into this game, the most likely outcome is, you know, the winner of, of that, of this game was going to end the year nine and three and the loser was probably going to end the year eight and four. So whether it's one team or the other, you know, from a duck standpoint, doesn't, doesn't matter all that much. Uh, when it gets to any kind of style points or beauty contests at the end of the year, I, I going back to the Washington run defense. I, I thought it was pretty alarming if I'm a Washington fan to see, you know, everyone and their brother knew that Oregon state, especially in the weather condition be, between the weather conditions and the Oregon state quarterback, you know, just being completely incapable. Like everyone knew Oregon state was going to run Washington came out and, you know, on a five, two bear front look, right. Specifically to stop the run. And they still couldn't stop the run. Um, and I think that's got to be concerning for Washington. Yeah, especially like we'll get we'll talk about that a lot more in the preview. But if you if you struggle against a team like Oregon State, which is not a threat to be balanced, um, isn't going to really formation and personnel you to death. That that's gonna that's an issue when you come into Eugene. So, we'll we'll talk about that later on this week. Uh, let's move on here. So we had Washington State uh, going to Stanford and absolutely stomping a mud hole in them. Like it was bad. Um, is, is there two more teams in this conference more uh, inexplicable than these two? I mean, Stanford beats, you know, they beat Notre Dame and then they just lay an egg like this. And then Washington state has had no offense for five or six weeks in a row. And then they put up 52 and f- including 42 in the first half. Like I just, these two teams, I, I don't know. I was wrong on this one. I had, I had uh, Stanford covering. You picked the the Cougs, so I guess good on you there. Yeah. But these two teams are just like Jekyll and Hyde to me. I don't know what to get with them. Well, we found out like <laughs> so we talked about this in the preview. Like Stanford cannot stop the run against anybody, and we're like, well, Washington State has a bad offensive line. Uh, Nikita Watson's a solid player at running back, but they haven't been able to run the ball consistently on anybody. Well, they found the run game. Like they ran the ball thirty eight times for three hundred and six yards on an average of 8.1 per carry against Stanford. And, like, if you're averaging 8.1 yards per carry on that kind of volume, you're going to win by a lot of points. Um, And that's what happened. Like, Washington State was super explosive. Uh, Cam Ward really didn't have to do a whole lot through the air. He was only a 50% passer on the day, but they just had explosive play after explosive play on the ground. So um, good game for Washington State. They moved to 5-4. and only need to win one now of their last three to get to bowl eligibility. Stanford falling to three and six basically guarantees that they will not find bowl eligibility. Uh, they've got Utah, Cal, and BYU remaining on the schedule. Yeah, good luck to Stanford on that one. Um, yeah, Washington State. Maybe this will give the Cougars some life. I mean, they're washed. Their their uh, their offense has just been stuck in neutral for several weeks now. So maybe this is one of those games that helps them kind of wake up, and, and maybe they're gonna. You know, look at their run game a little more because they haven't they haven't really ran a whole lot or tried to, and and they had some success this game. Maybe they'll be a little more balanced or try to be. I don't know, but good for them. Yeah. Well, moving on again, Arizona um, goes to Utah, loses forty five to twenty. I didn't get to watch a ton of this game live. Uh, went through and watched the highlights of this game. Arizona just can't get out of their own way. Like they're not a bad team, but they are a bad team. And if that makes any sense at all, like they, they have good players. They have some explosive playmakers on offense, but just the, like the situations they turn the ball in over in the amount of times they turn the ball over. Um, just the fact that they can't stop anything defensively. 
And even when they do find their way, luck their way into a stop defensively, it usually gets converted by turnover. Um, and so Arizona lost this game. Unfortunately, they, they actually were able to find somewhat of a run game for the first time this season. Um, well, not the first time, but the first time against a quality opponent, I would say. The the one thing that stuck out to me when I did from what I did see of this game is the Utah pass rush is basically non-existent. I mean, Jaden Delora had all day. When they did manage to get pressure, it was super easy for him to evade. They have a bunch of really clunky guys with with not a lot of range or mobility. And, like, just, again, forecasting forward towards a matchup with Oregon and Eugene, I really don't see them ever getting Bo Nix on the ground with how um, – with just how poor that pass rush is. And so play, play forcing a group that um, may or may not have Clark Phillips, depending on his injury to play coverage for that long is going to be a real problem against better teams. Yeah. I, I, I did watch bits and pieces of this game, you know, in real time and, and Arizona really, really had some chances to make this or to start out with this being and, and continue it being a, you know, maybe a shootout type of game, but four fumble, four fumble turnovers. Um, you know, that, 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 that's the difference in this game being close down the stretch and, and really being a blowout and, you know, credit Utah. I mean, they put up 300 yards rushing. Um, I, you know, Arizona, I thought did a decent job against Utah's passing game. I mean, they were, you know, Utah didn't need to pass, but when they did, they, they weren't super efficient, you know, 50%. Only six yards an attempt um, for rising. So, but yeah, just as you said, Arizona just can't can't get out of their own way. And uh, Utah, you know, they're a different team at home than on the road, I think. And they they showed it once again. They just dominated this game at home. Their offense is is definitely the strength of their team. Um, you know, people people talking about Utah having a good defense, or you know, I think we talked about this earlier, right? Like. A lot of times these narratives between fans and the media and the talking heads that don't follow teams or conferences closely, they tend to run about a year behind. And so you still, even now, you hear a lot of people talking about, oh, Utah's got such a good defense. And it's like, well, not this year's Utah team. Last year's Utah team, yeah. Yeah. But the 2022 version has not had a good defense all year. This well, is they, new. They just lack the explosiveness. Like last year with Lloyd... Um, and Tafua, they had pass rush, whether it was bringing Lloyd off the edge, blitzing him from the interior, um, or, or just Tafua winning one-on-ones as an edge rusher. And like Van Fillinger, I think, is a pretty solid player, but by himself, there's just not enough else there. And so um, I don't know. I just I think it's I think it's a like a pretty average group in this conference, and this conference is pretty bad defensively. So uh, I I don't know. I look forward to seeing how Oregon plans to attack them when we get to that game here in a couple weeks, but. Uh, just tough, tough situation for Arizona. I think that they're, I think they're close. I think that if they could pick up the right pieces in, in the transfer portal this offseason, make a change of defensive coordinator, I think Arizona could actually be a bowl team next year. But now with, with what they have remaining on the schedule, they still have to play UCLA this coming weekend. I don't see them winning that game, and they have to win out to get to bowl eligibility. So. Yeah, five, yeah. Just short. But f- hey, five, if they get to five, like I think it comes down to their season is a success if they beat if they beat Arizona State, right? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and and it's going back to the picks. I had uh, you had Utah covering, so you got the win there. 
I had Arizona, you know, keeping it within the 17 and a half. And I don't think my pick was bad. I, I you know, if you take away the four turnovers, then, you know, I think they probably do keep it within the, the 17 and a half. So, but you know what? It didn't happen. You got the win. So good on you. Yeah. But no, let's go over to Cal and USC now. A late night. There was two Pac-12 after dark games at the same time, which doesn't usually happen. And they amazingly, or funny enough, both featured the LA schools. So uh, Cal at USC. We'll talk about first. So USC won 41-35 in a game that they kind of never really were in doubt, but all of a sudden Cal stormed back and got 21 fourth-quarter points to pull within six before uh, USC put it away with a, with a late touchdown. But uh, USC's defense, not good. It never was good. They they It's crazy. Like They don't sustain that crazy turnover margin, and now they're giving up a bunch of points. Cal had 469 yards. Cal. Cal's offense had 469 yards, including 406 through the air. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that like, Jeremiah Hunter, um, Michael Certavant, J. Michael Certavant, like those are pretty quality receivers, honestly. Like I, I don't think that there's a playmaker problem on the outside for Cal. Um, they, they, don't, they cannot run the ball with any efficiency, which is really strange because USC can't stop the run at all against anybody. Um, but just, yeah, they, they just start, they were finding ways to get conversions really fumbled the, the end of the first half. Like I, I didn't catch a ton of this game. Um, but I saw the last five minutes of the, of the second quarter in, in Cal just uh, inexplicable decision-making in the red zone. Um, they end up getting a stop, getting the ball back, go three and out, give the ball back to USC again. And so what probably could have been a 14 point swing in Cal's favor turns into just zero points and seven points for USC, uh, which honestly is the difference in this game, most likely. So oh, yeah, really... I'll, go through, I'll go through that one here. So it's 13-7. USC was up. Cal had the ball, um, at, you know, at the U- at first and 10 at the USC 31 with 4.08 left, left in the game. Ended up in a fourth and two situation with two minutes left. Uh, didn't convert. Okay, so you think, well... Whatever the half will end thirteen to seven. USC gets the ball, punts with one one you know uses thirty seconds, punts it back to Cal with one twenty eight to go. And this was the part that was just inexplicable: is you know Cal throws an interception on the first play. It gives well, USC new life, and it it does that doesn't even really apply the correct context because the the decision to go for it. I don't dislike that decision down in the red zone for Cal either. No. I I hate the play call though. Absolutely hate the play call. Like you, you put your quarterback stationary in the pocket. I understand that Plummer is not a great athlete, but you put your your quarterback stationary in the pocket, basically with a single field read. They they get a reroute on USC reroutes the slot, and the whole play falls apart. And then he's not a good enough athlete, and he's static in the pocket, and they run him down. Like it's just I don't know. I I hated the play call. Get him on the move. Find a way to get the ball to your best player uh, in Ott out of the backfield. I don't just figure out some kind of rubber pick situation. Like they just basically ran double slants. The slot got rerouted into the next planet and it was just, it was not a good situation. And then the interception was horrible too. Like you just forcing the ball downfield on the first play into double coverage with that, with a safety coming over the top. Um, I don't know. It just felt like that was a really poorly managed situation all the way around. And the, the way that they managed the clock also was really inappropriate because it left so much time for USC um yeah. so i don't yeah. know they did that, not win the middle eight 
Cal's a bad football team. USC continues to let all kinds of bad football teams hang in games with them late, um, and they just keep messing with them. And like, I I don't know that there's enough games left for that for USC to actually lose one of these. But they're very, very, very fortunate that they haven't lost one of these games to one of these teams like Arizona or Arizona State or Cal that really they have no business playing with, um, or, or Oregon State even on the road, right? Like, I mean, you go through the season. You, you starts with the Stanford game in week two. They let them hang around. Um, Oregon State in week four. Then Arizona State. Then you know Washington State hung around for a long time. Obviously, they then lost to Utah. Then Arizona State and Cal the last two weeks. Again, one score games. All of these one score games. And you're right. They got Colorado. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, and then they got, of course, the showdown with UCLA. But now this, this game 12 against Notre Dame all of a sudden looks a lot more interesting than it did a few weeks ago. Yeah. And like on the Cal side of things, Cal is now 0 and 8 in one score games the last two seasons. Like, again, it just feels to me like they're playing to not lose by a lot versus win the game. Um, and some of their game management decisions and situational stuff. So I don't know. I think I'm going to start picking Cal to cover in these games, but I, I just. Well, if, I did pick Cal to cover in this game and I got the win on that one. Yeah. I mean, USC is just. USC shows glimpses of brilliance. Like they can be really explosive offensively. I understand that they're down both Mario Williams and Jordan Addison. And that's a problem, right? That's like your two most explosive players on the outside. Uh, but it's just like there's no sustained commitment to running the ball despite the fact that Travis Dye and the offensive line have probably actually been the best part of the offense all year. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. It's like Lincoln Riley wants to win his way, and his way is not going to be riding the run game, and I think it's going to lose them the UCLA game when that game comes around. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what the health situation looks like, you know, for Addison and and Williams and stuff getting in that game. But I'm with you. Like I, at this point, I think UCLA is a more complete football team. Uh, you know, I think they're more versatile. Well, I don't know if they're more versatile offensively, but they at least are more dedicated to being versatile offensively. Where USC seems to, you know, like you said, go away from their run game, which I actually think is really a strength. Well, for them. yeah. So like Chip is going to stay ahead of the chains. Like I, I don't want to preview that game too early, but because uh, we, that we're going to talk a ton about this game next week, but Chip will, if Chip knows he can run the ball, he's going to do it. Like he's not going to get cute. Um, and I think like that's a good way to transition to this Arizona State game. Like UCLA ran for 402 yards on 42 carries. They averaged almost 10 yards a carry on on Arizona State on Saturday. Like just absolutely lit them up on the ground. And this is without Zach Charbonnet playing, um, which is absolutely insane. So. I don't know. I just think that Chip Chip's commitment to the run game, um, his ability to keep uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson and ahead of the chain situations is really going to be the difference when USC and UCLA meet up in the Rose Bowl here in a couple weeks. Yeah, this is again another game that never really was in doubt, but they also never really put it away. Um, you know, they won fifty to thirty six and. Um, you know, certainly seemed, I mean, they were up 28 to 10 at the half and it, it seemed like it you know, actually went up 35 to 10 early in the third quarter. So I guess that's putting it away, but then all of a sudden, you know, it ended up, you know, getting, nah, it got to a two score game. It never got closer than two score games. So I guess they just traded touchdowns the rest of the way. Yeah. Late in the game, ASU found some things, um, started to put some points on the board, but this game was over in the first half. Yeah. Yeah, I, they did take over the conference rushing lead from Oregon with their 400-yard rushing performance. So 
we'll have to see how that one plays out throughout the rest of the year. But I, I'm with you. I, I at this point, if UCLA and L and USC play, I'm I'm liking the Bruins to win that game right now. But we'll see what happens over the next uh, next week or so before that one kicks off. Absolutely. So let's transition over then to the uh, national games of the week. A bunch of a bunch of games with some pretty serious implications for Oregon if Oregon is to manage to kind of run the run the sl- the slate down the stretch. Um, let's start with the game uh, in Athens, Georgia. Yeah. So Georgia, twenty-seven, thirteen winners over Tennessee. Uh, in a game that honestly wasn't as close, I and mean, we say that a lot, but it really wasn't as close as the score. I know uh, Tennessee kind of got a last-minute touchdown. That was their only touchdown of the game that you know made the margin a little closer. And Georgia just sat on the ball the entire second half. Uh, they only scored a, a single field goal in the second half. It was you know terrible weather conditions. They only threw attempted three passes in the second half, and that was despite. Um, despite Stetson Bennett throwing for 257 yards, you know, he was, you know, he was really good and, and dominant in the first half. And they just decided we're up, we're up by three possessions. We're going to sit on the ball and not risk uh, turning it over. And, and, and they did. And, and Tennessee never, never could get themselves back in this game. And Georgia's defense just dominated. Yeah. You could tell that this is a game that Georgia had been kind of waiting on. Um, Georgia had 10 sacks on the season coming into this game. They sacked Hendon Hooker six times alone in this game um, and had eight tackles for loss. Like, they were just living in the backfield. And really, what this was to me watching this game was Georgia was just flexing a massive talent advantage. Like it, This game really played very similarly to the way that Oregon-Georgia played in the first week, uh, with the main difference being is that Tennessee has been touted as the best offense in the country, and it's week 10 and Georgia just made them look completely like incompetent. They just sat on them defensively. Um, Hendon Hooker went 23 for 33 for 195 and a pick. The only touchdown scored in this game by Tennessee was late in garbage time. Um, it was just absolute domination by the Georgia defense. Jalen Carter getting healthy, just absolutely destroying and blowing up the middle of that, of the Tennessee run game uh, held held Tennessee's running game to uh, 94 yards on 42 carries, uh, which is 2.2 yards per carry. So just kept them behind the chains, kept everything in front, made some really nice plays on the ball. The The, the matchups that we talked about coming into this game with the, with the Georgia um, nickel corners and safeties against the, against those wide splits and, and some of the uh, stack stuff that they do played out exactly as we had anticipated Starks Smith, um, uh, Burrow, like those guys just absolutely sat on every in-breaking route, played really, really well, and Hennon Hooker's inconsistency and inaccuracy uh, was amplified by the poor weather in the second half, and, and this game was never in doubt. No, it was uh, it was a beatdown from early, from early, from early on throughout the end of the game, and and. I think if the if this is not a weather condition game, I mean Georgia probably gets to forty, you know, pretty easily. Well, let's uh, let me take an L real quick. So, I was really confident that Wake would beat NC State. I know that this is one that some of you guys followed me on and lost some money, and I really apologize. Um, I'm not paying you back for it. So, um, yeah, if you follow me and you lose, that's that's on you. I lost money as well, so we could all sulk together. Uh, Wake Wake Forest lost um, thirty to twenty one to NC State. 
NC State started a true freshman quarterback for the first time since Phillip Rivers. Uh, and MJ Morris played pretty well, like 18 for 28, 210, and three touchdowns. Uh, this game, like a lot of games nationally, had some pretty poor weather, a lot of really crazy gusts of wind. Um, and and overall, NC State just kind of controlled this game. There was a point early on when Wake Forest was up, but uh, Wake Forest continues to turn the ball over. That's now 11 turnovers in two weeks for, for Wake Forest, and you're just not going to win a lot of football games turning the ball over in that frequency. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the, the three turnovers were really the decider in this game as they would be in any game where you lose the, almost any game where you lose the turnover battle by by three. And, uh, I mean, they outgained NC State by a fair amount, but you can't turn the ball over three times and uh, and hope to win. And they had an interception on their first drive of the game. And then they had, you know, another one, in you know, in the second half trying to, trying to, trying to get back into the game and throw a, you know, throw a pick inside NC state territory. And then on the very next possession, they throw another pick. So that's it. It's game over at that point. Yeah. The weirdest game of the night. And I think you'd probably agree with me on this. Uh, Clemson going to Notre Dame and losing 35 to 14. Notre Dame is your ACC de facto champion. Uh, having given both Clemson and UNC their only losses. Uh, those are the two. That's the winner of the Coastal and the Atlantic, basically proving that Stanford's the base te- best team in the ACC. Stanford is the best team in the ACC. I mean, it's thirty-five fourteen, but honestly, the beatdown was even worse. Uh, you know, it was thirty-five. It was twenty-eight to zero. It was thirty-five to seven. Um, you know, Clemson couldn't do anything in this game. Uh, Notre Dame found offense, which they haven't. You know, really been no, very good no, at. They- this year. They they found a run game. They still cannot yeah. throw the ball. Yeah, they only threw for eighty five yards, but they, they were had, able to run all over Clemson, <laughs> and they were dedicated to it, rushing the ball forty seven times for two hundred sixty three yards. And uh, and Clemson, you know, their quarterback. I mean, Clemson has a lot of problems. I think, uh, particularly on offense, but their quarterback situation isn't helping them. DJ was not playing, uh, you know, his best game. They pull him. Uh, only to see the backup quarterback uh, Klubnik throw a pick on his first throw. Then they put DJ back in, and then he throws a pick six. So now you have a quarterback controversy with two quarterbacks who are probably both feeling uh, very unconfident right now. Which is this not is not okay. I've got thoughts. So first things first. Like this game got started, it was funky. Uh, blocked punt returned for a touchdown by Notre Dame. There was also the pick six you just referenced. So there's only 21 points scored by the Notre Dame offense. So from a matchup standpoint, we talked about like, okay, well, there's a ton of talent on this Clemson defensive front. If there's anything that we know we could trust, it's that. They got freaking destroyed. They got bullied. Like they were getting pushed around all over the place. This Notre Dame offensive line is really com- coming of age and playing well. Um, they had two backs get over 100 yards in this game. Drew Pine was still bad. I mean, they had three different guys catch catch passes in this game. Only Only one of them was a wide receiver who had three catches for 15 yards. So really, like, Notre Dame crushed Clemson's soul in this game with the way it was played. Um, as much as DJ is catching a lot of heat for this on the Clemson side, I think that there, there's much larger structural issues than just DJ. Uh, Cade Klubnik, really highly regarded five-star quarterback as well, um, and they have another one coming in. I don't think any number of, of five-star quarterbacks is fixing this Clemson offense. I think it's a schematic issue. Uh, they they decided to do the Dabo thing and just continue to promote from within. And you can tell that it's been about 10 years since they've had new ideas. Um, 
offense doesn't seem really coherent in regards to its plan. The they have at no point during the Dabo Swinney tenure, including when they won national titles, managed to recruit and sustain an offensive line that would be categorized as like good or above average. And this is a very very bad offensive line. Uh, the receiver room that like used to have DeAndre Hopkins or Sammy Watkins or uh, my, Mike Williams or Hunter Renfro or any list of about 14 NFL guys over the last decade and a half has really nobody that stands out in like an explosive or game-changing way. Like this is just a team that like doesn't have playmakers, does not have an offensive line, and and there in in no way is DJ being put in a position to be successful. Like if DJ leaves Clemson, which it seems highly likely uh, with the way that the season and the and the management of the quarterback position um, are being handled. I, I don't think that he's like broken or horrible. I think he could find success of putting in a better situation. I just I I don't think anything about this Clemson offense is good um or yeah. redeemable. Well, and I think, you know, the good thing here, you know, if you're a fan of college football is Clemson was on the path to a very 2014 Florida State-esque season, right, where you win a bunch of games unimpressively in close fashion. Because you're 13-0, and you're in the playoffs, but you really aren't a playoff-caliber team, and you get smoked in the first round. And, and had they gotten past this Notre Dame game, there's a pretty good likelihood they win out and get to 13-0 and and get to that playoff. And, and thankfully, I think we're all going to be spared from that outcome now because this is not a playoff-caliber team. No, no one from the ACC is getting in. Like, that, that league is just horrible. Like, there's... I don't think that there's a single good team in that league. I think that there's some teams that can do some good things. I think NC State, Florida State, Clemson, all UNC all qualify as that, but none of them are holistically good. Yeah, it feels very much like, you know, the Pac-12 did for a number of years, right, where you've got you got some decent above average teams, but you don't really have any great teams and you, you kind of beat each other up and nobody Nobody deserves to be in the playoffs. It kind of feels yeah. like. I mean, the ACC has been that way for a long time, though. Yeah. But there's Except always they have the one elite team. They have the yeah. one elite. Clemson has been the team that's actually been elite, like legitimately good, good enough to play in a playoff, talented enough to win, um, and they just aren't that this year. And so we see that like other teams are being relied on to step up in the league, and no one can do it because no one's good enough to consistently win. Um, Let's. So I'm gonna take a little aside. Yeah, you want to stay in the ACC? Well, just going to take a little aside. So just to follow up on your point, it, it, what is, who would you predict is outside of Clemson? They could because they could can, they could get it back. But let's say some other team uh, steps up and takes the mantle in the in the ACC. Who are you going to predict it's going to be? Uh, I mean, the only team that recruits at close to a good enough level is Miami. Yeah, uh, they they've got their own issues as we'll get to. Well, yeah, fact, I mean, maybe we'll I mean, just go to that game because I was going to say Florida State would be the team that that takes over. Yeah, I mean UNC recruits at a pretty high level too, and they've got the quarterback right now, and he has to come back for one more year. But I just I think they've got other issues too. I, I don't think that they're close to being a playoff team, really. No, no, and I don't think any of these teams are close to being a play. I don't think Miami's close. I don't think Florida State's close. I think both all of those teams have need 
multiple years. Oh, they'll, well, they'll get to there when there's a 12-team playoff. How about that? Because I don't think any of them are making a 14 playoff. But well, Miami is not close as of today. Like, that is for <laughs> no. sure. They, they need they need a lot of recruiting to take place um, and some coaches to get fired and maybe for a head coach to get out of the way. Well, they did, a, they did try to do a lot of recruiting down at Hard Rock this weekend as they hosted the Florida State Seminoles with a ton of four and five stars on campus. Um, and also probably a ton of, of Seminole fans who made the trip down from Tallahassee to watch Florida State absolutely destroy Miami 45-3 to in a game that was over in the middle of the first quarter, it felt like. Uh, this was <laughs> honestly kind of fun to watch. Trey Benson, former Duck, uh, really, really happy to see. He went off. He had he was just running incredibly. We all knew he was talented. It was obviously a just you know a bummer to me. I think I tweeted this in the off season. You know he was the back that I was most sorry to see leave the room in the off off season. But he he had 128 yards and two touchdowns in this game, and he he's been solid all year. But this was really kind of a, a coming out game for him. Oh yeah, he was tremendous. I mean he's he's a load. I mean he's he's a big guy. He doesn't look like he's fast, but he is legitimately like top end sprinter fast like he can run away from people um and he just runs with such good balance and power and pace and yeah he's he's tremendous he's gonna be he'll get drafted and he'll be in the nfl here sooner rather than later um actually is he draft eligible this year Uh, he would be yeah i mean we might see him get drafted then very soon um coming off i mean genuinely like oregon fans don't know this like he he blew his knee up like it was Willis McGahee style just every ligament um pretty sure he actually broke a bone in his leg as well like it was it was a, as horrendous and difficult of a knee injury to come back from as is possible um and which is why you didn't see him much last year he was wearing that massive knee brace cuz really the injury he sustained was a 2 year recovery time so now he's back to close to or maybe even at where he was prior to injury but he was a guy that prior to that injury we were hearing was going to be like a major player for Oregon, someone that could potentially beat out both Verdell and die. Um, so good to see him get out there and get, get snaps and play uh, and play well. Um, Jordan Travis was 10 for 12 for two Oh two, three touchdowns and a pick in this game. Miami is just like completely incompetent. I mean, they haven't scored an offensive touchdown since 14 minutes to go in the third quarter of the Duke game on November on October twenty second. They have they have it's been nine quarters since they scored a touchdown. Almost ten. I mean they, yeah, they have one hundred and eighty eight yards in this game. One hundred and eighty eight total yards. Yeah, they played three quarterbacks. All of them were bad. Uh in total the three quarterbacks from Miami were ten for nineteen, sixty two yards and two picks. Uh they ran the ball thirty three times for hundred and twenty six yards at three point eight per uh they also lost um a f- fumble in this game they they were they were genuinely bad and they quit like they it was like Oregon against Utah level bad like they just flat out folded in the second half actually they were folding in the second quarter um i don't know like i don't know what they were expecting bringing in all the recruits for this game the stadium was empty by the by mid second quarter uh, they brought in all their top targets in 23 and 24 for it, um, and Florida State thoroughly pants them. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to make of their off. I mean, obviously, you know, they need talent, but they also have a lot of talent. I mean, on paper, you know, and Tyler Van Dyke, like, was 
playing really well at the end of last year, and now he's just a complete mess. Uh, well, he's I hurt. Like, he, yeah, I know he's been hurt. Yeah, yeah, like he's actually hurt. Like you could tell. Like he hurt his arm on a throwaway. Like I don't. It's just there was a lot of expectations for this team. Like this team is certainly worse than than twenty twenty one Miami. I don't. Yeah. I don't know that there's any arguing with that. I mean. Rent Lashley is now at SMU, and like their quarterback set a record throwing nine touchdowns and running a touchdown in the same game. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, this, I don't know this, about all their internal structural problems, but I mean, I mean, offensively, they have to have more talent than they're they're putting on, you know, yeah. uh, you know, out there from a results standpoint. Well, and you have sports medicine people tweeting out and clowning on Coach Feld and his staff. Like it's just. I don't know. There's a lot of really ugly parts to this from an outwards appearance standpoint. I I don't know if this is another situation where Oregon just got lucky, but we seem to be in a much healthier position now, for sure. Yeah, so that's a game where we both picked Florida State. That was we both got that one right as well. Yeah, way, yeah we on the no I had Notre Dame, you had Clemson on the other game, so I think we got one left here, or two two more here to talk about. You want to hear something disgusting is that Georgia Tech is a one-and-a-half-point favorite next week. Oh, my God. At Miami or or hosting Miami. Hosting Miami. Wow. And Georgia Tech is, what's their record? Uh, four and, Both these teams are four and five. Four and five, yeah. Um, yeah, so Miami needs to win, what, two out of their last three to get bowl eligible? Yeah, and they have to play Clemson and Pitt still. Yeah, it's gonna be a tough haul. And if they if they lose to Georgia Tech, then yeah, lights out. It's over. Well, if they don't score a touchdown against Georgia Tech, they might not score another touchdown for the rest of the year. Because yeah. Clem- Clemson, despite the problems that they have, is way, way, way better than this Miami offense. And Pitt, like, I don't really know how Miami's gonna block the Pittsburgh front. So we shall see. Um, let's stay in, or let's move to the Big 12. Texas went to Kansas State. We both had the Wildcats um, on this one, and we both lost because Texas won by 7, 34-27 on the road. Now they're going to be hosting TCU next week in a game we will definitely be talking about on the preview show. But in this one, uh, Texas ran away with an early big lead in this game, but let Kansas State back in it, and, and it ended up being a, a pretty close thing down the stretch. The only reason this game was close was there was two fumbles by by Texas um, on consecutive drives late in this game. Otherwise, or sorry, not not consecutive drives, but there was two fumbles in this game um, that allowed them the opportunity to stay stay within reach. Um, all, like Texas was moving the ball pretty much at will, um, running the ball. They were balanced. Quinn Ewers. Like only eighteen to thirty-one for one ninety-seven, uh, but Bijan Robinson had thirty carries for two hundred nine yards, and then Roshan Johnson added another seven for sixty-two. So, um, finding the run game, they've got a really talented one-two punch of backs. The Texas defense is getting better. Uh, I think Texas is going to beat TCU this week. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the betting models and advanced statistical models have Texas still as like a top five, top seven team in the country, and they'll be favored against TCU. I'm sure. I mean, they're certainly the best six and three team in the country. I mean, they might be the best six and three team in many seasons. Uh, they're a better team than their record for sure. I mean, yeah, um, they, two of their three losses 
They lost by one to Alabama in a game where they lost Quinn Ewers in the first half, and Hudson Card was playing with a with a flat tire. Um, and then they lost without Quinn Ewers to Tech in overtime in a game where they had a 14-point lead. Um, so, yeah, like this... Texas really struggles in second half a game right now, which is why I still think that there's at least there's probably one one more loss on this schedule. Um, but I don't think it's one to TCU because I think at home uh, with an undefeated team that's been kind of skating by, I I think that they're going to catch them. Yeah, and I think it's also a situation where they you know they control their own destiny to get into the Big Twelve title game if they win. If they win this TCU game, it'll it'll probably be a rematch between Texas and TCU in that title game. Um, but if they lose this, they're they're going to be in trouble trying to get there. So I, I I see them really being focused and ready and wanting to win this game. And I, I think I think TCU is kind of similar similar to Clemson, not in a lot of ways, but in the way that they've kind of been flirting with losses a lot uh, this season and and have managed to pull out a lot of comfort behind victories. I mean. You know they they beat uh, you know they beat SMU by eight. They you know beat Kansas by a touchdown. They beat Oklahoma State by three. They beat Kansas State by ten. West Virginia by ten. Tech by ten. I mean, in all those games where they were trailing or or tied in many of those games into the fourth quarter. So they've kind of been flirting with losses, and I think they're going to finally catch one. But we'll we'll talk about that on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. I- I agree. Um, I also like agree with the betting models in regards to Texas. Like, there's just a lot of quality there. Like, they've got probably arguably the best running back in the country. They've got a really talented young quarterback who, like, yeah, he's had some some tough tough games on the road, um, especially in bad weather. But like Xavier Worthy at receivers, a super dynamic player. Player Jatavian Sanders at tight end is going to be like a very high draft pick um, from an NFL standpoint. Like there's just there's just a lot of good pieces, and I, I think that it's pretty undebatable at this point that Steve Sarkeesian is a, like a, a legitimately excellent play caller. So, um, and and the defense is coming into form, and they they've improved the talent there as well. I think, assuming that Texas is able to hold it all together and continue to recruit at a high level, which with the NIL money that's that's rolling into Austin, Texas, um, I would assume will be the case. I think Texas is going to be like a legitimate national title threat in the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that leaves us with one more game here. Alabama at LSU. Uh, very good game. I watched uh, I watched all of this one, I think, or at least toward the end. Uh, LSU pulls the upset 32-31 at home over Alabama, dropping the tide to 7-2, and probably knocking them out of the playoff picture for the rest of the season. Also probably knocking them out of the SEC title game, I think. LSU essentially has a two-game lead now on on the tie for that West Division crown, so or one and a tiebreaker. So they would need to lose twice um, in order for Alabama to somehow sneak back in. So, did you catch any of this one? Yeah, I watched almost all of this game. Um, I yeah, Alabama's got some problems, and like uh, it's crazy that they've gone from having a stretch of five first-round draft picks in three years at receiver to not having like anyone on the roster who's even like remotely approaching the level of any of those guys. Like they're the best receiver. I think right now is probably, well, other than Jameer Gibbs, the running back um, is probably Ja'Cory Brooks. And like, he wouldn't sniff the rotation on any of the last like four Alabama teams. Um, so 
problems at receiver. I'm not a huge Bill O'Brien guy. I think this is probably the worst Alabama offensive line that they've had, and Lord knows how long. I mean, they've had a run of just ridiculous offensive lines, um, and they they struggle to stop the run. Like LSU was able to run the ball in this game, um, 185 yards on the ground, uh, five that by the quarterback. Yeah, 5.4 for per carry. Uh, but like Alabama outgained LSU by almost a whole full hundred yards it was far. I, I think, well, I just think Bryce, I think the world of Bryce Young, I don't think this is a Bryce Young problem, no. um, but yeah, I mean, Jaden Daniels ability to extend plays um, and LSU's best offensive play is the Jaden Daniels scramble. Like the, the, the touchdown that gave them the opportunity to go for two in overtime was a play where, Jaden Daniels was in space against a future top 15 pick in Dallas Turner and had just enough juice to get around the edge and got some good blocks on the outside. And yeah, I mean, this was, this was an impressive win in probably the most impressive home environment I've seen this year. This is the best Jaden Daniels has played since his, his freshman year in 2019, the year when, you know, they knocked off the ducks down there and, and, uh, and Tempe, you know, he that year he threw for 17 touchdowns and only two interceptions. This year, right now, he's at 14 versus one. Damn. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, his, yeah, his, so, yeah. His legs are keeping them ahead of the chains offensively, which is, yeah. there's really no negative plays with him right now because of that. Like, I, like 22 for 32, 182 and two touchdowns isn't going to like blow off the off the stat sheet to anybody but the 18 carries for for 95 yards will um because of the impact that those have on drives like he's keeping drives alive with his legs yeah he's got another 600 yards rushing this year and certainly will eclipse his his total of last season which was the size of his career so uh you know he's been a very effective quarterback for them i think his you know he's got a lot of snaps under his belt the, the change of scenery to a a team that i think obviously is a much more talented team overall than Arizona state, but he's also, he's not turning the ball over. Right. Which is the thing that I think he struggled with a lot at Arizona state, especially last year was turnovers. Right. So if he can kind of do what he does, you don't have to win the game, you know, be efficient on uh, through the air, keep plays alive with your legs, make first downs with your legs, and then just don't turn the ball over. And and he can be a really effective quarterback for a team like LSU. And obviously he's, he's proving it this year. Yeah, two players on the LSU defense. Like, if you watch them again going forward, uh, BJ Ojolari, the edge player, number 18, uh, little brother of an Ojolari that played for, uh, plays, he's a teammate of Kayvon Thibodeau's right now in New York, but he played for Coach Landing at Georgia. Absolute monster, super high motor, incredible athlete, uh, great pass rusher off the edge, but just the way he impacts the game. Had 11 total tackles in this game, a sack and another tackle for loss. Um, and then Harold Perkins, a five-star true freshman linebacker who was part of that Texas A&M class, ended up flipping to LSU when Brian Kelly got the job. Um, he is going to be an absolute monster. True freshman, super explosive, can run sideline to sideline, great instincts, can cover, uh, can rush the passer as a blitzer or lined up off the edge as just a pure edge player. Like really like a pretty special talent there so uh, a lot of a lot of dudes on this lsu team like there was no shortage of talent uh, and brian kelly did a really good job i mean like the coaching job that's been done here really like you have to you have to tip a cap because that offensive line is very patchwork they're starting two true freshmen and a bunch of transfers 
They struggled all year. Um, they're getting better. The left tackle is a true freshman who I think is pretty clearly going to be a high draft pick when his time comes. Uh, he's grown up a lot. Like you watch him week one against Florida State, he was getting pretty much manhandled most of that game. At this point, he's he's become like a very solid player um, who's probably an offseason away from being a dominant player uh, and and a secondary of all transfer players. And they're all playing really well within that system. And and just overall, like this LSU coaching job, like I don't think anyone, if you were debating whether or not Brian Kelly was a good coach, you can't be doing it anymore. So I have a response to that and then one more thought of my own. Um, I, I've always or, or never cared for Brian Kelly, but I do have to respect him as a coach and and i think he's proven it this year um along that front i tweeted this out at the time before the result of the play i thought his decision to go for two was absolutely the right decision i applauded him for having the balls to do it because a lot of coaches wouldn't and it paid off for him yeah absolutely one other thought i had more on the bama side of things and certainly by no means am i saying the saban era is over because that would be ridiculous thing to say but i will say this i think it is fair to say that the baton has been firmly passed from alabama to georgia as far as the juggernaut number one program most complete program that you know everybody's gunning for i think it's georgia now i think they've taken that mantle well i mean yeah this this alabama team like they have Bryce Young, who won the Heisman last year, and I think is pretty like he's the most important player in college football to his team. Like without him, they would have a lot more losses. Yeah, like, he's been so unbelievably clutch. He's not playing with a great cast of receivers. Um, like this team has some some problems, and like those problems are going to show up because they're losing basically eight starters on defense. Um, and they're going to lose their quarterback, their running back, and their two best offensive linemen this offseason. They're gonna they're bringing in an absolutely absurd class like they always do, uh, but I I think and I, I try not to be the hot take knee jerk reaction guy, but I've been kind of leaning this way now for a while. I think he needs to replace both coordinators at the very least this offseason. if he's going to even continue want to continue as their head coach. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see play out. I mean, I think Bama's played essentially four losable games and they've split them. They've won two and they've lost two. So. You know, I saw a lot of people saying after the game, well, oh, uh, you know, Bama's two plays away from, you know, being undefeated. I'm like, but you could also say they're two plays away from having four losses. So they've no, split those four, which is about what most teams would do. Yeah, but you have, like, you have to, like, still give credit. Like, we, a lot of people are like, oh, well, this is it. Like, Alabama's done. Like, they're no, just, no, 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 no. I'm not saying like, that. They, they lost, they lost two road games by a combined four points to, two top 10 teams like LSU and Tennessee are both very, very good teams yeah. with a ton of talent like LSU or Tennessee would be at worst, the second best team in the PAC 12 right now. And probably like they would give Oregon a run for their money at, in their current forms. Um, and Tennessee would probably be a favorite. Like, you know what I mean? So these are, these are very, very good football teams that they're losing to. Um, it's just with how dominant Bama has been, we really haven't seen them lose more than one regular season game very often. I think the last time that they did uh, was back in 2019, the year that Tua had the hip injury where they lost to LSU and um, I believe Auburn. Yeah, Auburn the last game of the year, yep. Yeah, I mean, other than that, like Bama I don't think has had more than one regular season loss in a game. So 
everyone's looking at it like in, in a, a lot of hot takes are flying all over the place about this team um, in the future. And I think some of them have some merit because I'm not sure that I don't think that they would have preferred to have Bill O'Brien be their OC this year, uh, but they stuck with him for another year. I, I would be very, almost very certain he won't be their OC next year, regardless if he gets another job. Um, and I think that Pete Golding, Pete Golding is in question as well at this point. All right. I think we will do our power rankings next, but, and I think we'll, we'll delay any talk about playoff stuff and to our preview pod. I think we'll have some time there to talk about it. And then the CFP rankings will be out as well. So that might be, be a better time to talk about it anyway. So why don't we get to our power rankings and then call it a night QB. Sounds good. So uh, you want to go from one or you want to start at 12? Yeah, we always start at 12. Let's keep it going. Okay. So yeah, I got uh, Colorado and Stanford is the bottom two. Uh, two worst teams in the conference, I think, by a pretty wide margin, um, followed by the two Arizona schools. I currently have Arizona at 9, Arizona State at 10. Um, how does your bottom four look? Also Colorado 12, uh, the wor- the second worst team in the Pac-12, which beat the ACC champion um, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Stanford is number 11. I've got Arizona at 10, and I've got Cal at 9. So I've got Arizona State sneaking in above Cal at number 8. Uh, that's fair. I've got Cal at eight. Um, Cal is playing good teams close-ish. Um, again, I'm not sure how serious of a threat they were to win most of these games. Uh, with wa- I'm mostly referencing Washington and USC for Cal. Uh, but we'll see them against Oregon State this weekend. Um, I, I reserve the right to kind of shift that around a little bit here as we move forward. Um, and then I've got I've got wazoo at seven i think that cal and wazoo are kind of in like a third tier um just above the fourth tier of the conference kind of have i have wazoo kind of locked into their own tier by themselves i feel like you've got the top four the next two wazoo and then you've got the bottom five but splitting hairs yeah for sure Uh, i think we'll both agree five is washington six is oregon state after that game last week deciding kind of who was going to be the fifth team um, and then my top four stay, stays unchanged. I have Oregon at one, UCLA at two, uh, Utah at three, and, and USC at four. And I, I'm clo- I'm starting to think that USC might be falling more towards that next grouping. Um, we'll see how they perform uh, when when they when they play UCLA here in two weeks. But they they're just they're playing with their food too much. Like bad teams are sticking with them way too late in the games. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think. Um... I have the same top four, Oregon, UCLA, Utah, USC. I I toyed around with bumping Utah up above UCLA just because I'm not convinced that Utah is not the second best team in the conference right now. But also you got to, you know, UCLA beat Utah and, and guess what? Beat All this bad. is going to play out. So we'll let it play out. They beat them bad. Utah still can't really stop the run. Um, and UCLA runs the ball really, really well. So I think, um, the, I think the other big takeaway I have, and it's going to sound like a homer take, but whatever, I I feel like Oregon is distancing itself a little bit from the other three. Kind of. I don't know. I don't trust the defense still. Fair. Um, fair. I, I think it. I don't think it's bad. It's not. It's definitely not good. It's pretty average. Um, but I do think that the Oregon offense is the best in the conference. And I think that might be the unit that's separated. Yeah. Yeah. It it just, man, it feels like they're, 
they just can't right now. It feels like they can't do anything wrong on offense practically, but yeah, the defense, I mean, Colorado had a better than 50% third down conversion rate, which is not a good sign. I, yeah. I, you know, we'll be interested to see how Oregon attacks uh, the, the Huskies passing attack with Michael Penix and Rome and Dunze and McMillan and Polk and those guys this week. So it'll be an interesting uh, test for that defensive unit for sure. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think this is a good place to stop. So I just want to thank everybody who's been listening. I appreciate we appreciate all the reviews that have been coming in. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at QB11 Show. Uh, follow Doug at Douglas TS. Follow myself at QB11SD. And uh, we will talk to you guys. We're going to be having two more episodes come out this week. Uh, we're going to have our quarterly review, so another three games down. We'll talk with Hifliday this week, uh, and then we'll also have our preview ahead of the, the rivalry game with Washington on Saturday.